right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fearcast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician here in California, um, and uh, I specialize in the treatment of OCD and anxiety uh, uh, diagnoses and those sort of things. Got off topic here all of a sudden. It's very early in the podcast to be thrown off. This is not a good start to things, but but here we are, everybody. So, uh, thank you all for uh, joining me for this episode, episode 55. Man, we're getting up there. Um, so, everybody, thank you all for uh, sending in your uh, surveys. So, for those of you who are unaware, um, I put up a survey on the interwebs for uh, uh, just to try to get a little bit more insight into what you are all experiencing, what you all think about this uh, podcast, and ultimately so I can figure out how to make this podcast better. So a lot of folks are going online and you are sending me in some ideas and some suggestions and some feedback. And uh, overall, it sounds like uh, folks are liking it. It sounds like there are some things that I can do better. And you know what? I'm going to try to do that. So if you haven't had a chance to go on and uh, I, I give me your feedback, I would really appreciate you take the time. I think it, man, it probably takes less than five minutes to do, uh, less than an actual five minutes to do. So um, sometimes we, 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 over or underestimate how long five minutes is, but five minutes is really not that long. Anyhow, um, if, for those of you who are interested, you can go over to fearcastpodcast.com backslash survey. Uh, you can go up there and fill out some, uh, just a couple of questions. And if you want to give me your feedback, I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the podcast or are new to the Fearcast, this is a question and answer based podcast that um, if you have a question about OCD and anxiety treatment, you can uh, go to fearcastpodcast.com and you can submit a question there. I will read it. I will consider it and I will likely answer it on this here podcast, which is what I'm going to do presently with three questions. So one of the bits of feedback that I got from folks uh, is that you want it batched. So meaning that uh, previously what I have been doing is essentially answering these questions in a somewhat first-come, first-served basis. So if you asked a question, um, I'm going to batch it with uh, two other or three other people with, uh, you know, they may be on the same subject. They probably weren't. So I got some feedback from folks who wanted them to be more uh, collated. I don't know if that doesn't make sense. That's not the right way to say it. But for folks, for these questions rather to be um, consistent, so it, to have basically a, a you know, an HOCD episode, a sexual orientation um, broadly episode, a contamination episode, you get the idea. So today is going to be more focused on uh, uh, kind of more sexual themes. So there's going to be some HOCD topics here. There's also a, a topic about uh, incest. So I should also say that this episode is going to have an adults only mark on it. So uh, if you do not want to uh, have little ears, hear this, that is totally fine. Um, hopefully you had seen that uh, mark at the very beginning, uh, or when you downloaded the podcast, there's all that little marker next to it. Uh, if you didn't, then I suppose that's your fault. So um, I can't take responsibility for that. I'm not going to. Anyways, also another bit of feedback that I got was uh, to branch out. And man, I have been wanting to branch out beyond just OCD discussions. Don't get me wrong. I love talking about OCD. It is super duper fun. Um, but also to talk about generalized anxiety stuff, to talk about social anxiety, talk about phobias. And um, yeah, I would love those questions too. But, um, you know, if I don't get those questions... 
stuff for me to talk about it. But you know what? I had work around. I had a series that I've been wanting to work on that I've been wanting to do for a while, and uh, I've been dragging my feet, and uh, instead, I'm going to make it happen. So, uh, this episode comes out on Monday, and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put out a series that is going to go every other week on Fridays called Phobia Friday, uh, both spelled with a PH, just in case you're wondering. Phobia Friday. The, the whole purpose of that is we're going to discuss some phobias that are a little atypical, some stuff that you may have heard of, a lot of stuff that you're not going to typically hear about. And um, I think it's really important to acknowledge that we have phobias, that, there, that, that it is something within the OCD and anxiety spectrum that doesn't get a lot of airtime, uh, especially on this podcast, and I think especially on a lot of other podcasts. We sometimes view phobias as being easy or being simple or being um, not as not as important as OCD or generalized anxiety. But you know what? Phobias can be just as painful and just as intrusive and problematic as, uh, you know, as any other manifestation of OCD. So, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, some of those, and we'll see if that gets traction, if people like it, if people hate it. Um, message me and tell me you just hate the thing, and it's the worst, and you've never heard anything worse than that, um, and you kind of hate me now for putting it on. Um, I mean, or don't do that. That's, you know, you could also be nice about it and just say, thanks, but no thanks. Uh, and if you do like it, you could say, uh, bully on you, or to you, whatever it's said. Anyways, um, I just got off um, a Instagram live with uh, the, the the wonderful Kelly Frankie, and so I'm I'm uh, a little warmed up. I'm a little goofy. I've had some coffee in my system, so we are going to get this going. So, without further ado, here are the questions. All right. So this first question comes from Olivia. She says. Hello, Kevin. I'm struggling with sexual OCD obsessions. I have a fear that I'm attracted to a family member. I suffer from awful intrusive images. How do I accept uncertainty with this theme as this is the worst possible thing that could be true? I feel uncertainty when I'm around my partner. How do I deal with this? Love your podcast. Thank you. All right, Olivia, thank you so much for this question. Um, th this is something that, so this is, there, there's a part of this that I'm going to pick on a little bit more than others. First off, I want to say, it sounds like this obsession is incredibly bothersome. It is intrusive. It is pervasive. It is taking over your life in certain ways. Um, it, it, it's true that our obsessions and what freaks us out is the worst thing for us because it's the worst thing for us. I know that's a, that's a weird and circular way of saying it, but these obsessions, the obsessions that we all have, whatever they may be for you and me, um, they are they're custom built for us us. So you've been saying in this that you're struggling with sexual obsessions and specifically about whether or not you're attracted to a family member. So so you go on to say this, how do I accept uncertainty with this theme as it is the worst possible thing that could be true? So that's where I'm going to pick on a little bit. Why is this the worst thing that could be true? It's the worst possible thing that could be true. Now, this is not to undermine your obsession. Well, it kind of is to undermine, but it's not, it's not meant to, to marginalize or to say it's not painful. I'm saying it absolutely is. My questioning here is to try to to try to separate you from the emotional content a little bit and to think about it from an outsider's perspective and to say, okay, um, 
can I think about this a little bit differently? Sometimes what we do is we get we get uh, what ACT calls fused. We get connected intimately with our fear, and we are our fear. We are all of that terribleness, and it, and it, it, it kind of takes over with us. So and, and the verbiage, the language we use about it does have an impact on us. When we say things like, it is the worst, nothing could be worse than this. I am in utter agony about it. And we sometimes we use hyperbole, sometimes we use um, superlatives about it, meaning like it's the best, it's the worst. And furthermore, in no way am I saying that if you were to wake up tomorrow and be attracted to a family member, that that would be great, that everything in your life would just be um, clicking and working right because, you know what, you are turned on by uncle so-and-so or, you know, cousin blank, man, they're just working for you. I'm not, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that either. So within this challenging of, of this being the worst possible thing, we can, we can consider, well, all right, is it the worst possible thing or is it something that would be really uncomfortable and awkward and frustrating and difficult, but is it something that I could work around, that I could work through, right? Is it something that I can handle? So Olivia, one of the first things that we want to think about is, well, what is the certainty that you're trying to get? In other words, what are you trying to get certainty about? Is it certainty that you are or are not attracted? Now, to cut to the chase is that, well, you're going to have to learn to sit with that uncertainty about not knowing. Because either, either you know or you don't know, right? Now, there's, there's, there's a lot more opportunity for us to not know in this, because there's a lot of other elements that ask questions and maybe this. So, for right now, because I, I anticipate you're sending me this question because you've done a lot of ruminating about this and checking and, 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 and wondering and ruminating about it. But... You haven't gotten to this answer. So you don't know if you are attracted. To cut to the chase, there will have to be this element of sitting with the uncertainty. But I, I wonder, what seems to be so unbearable about that uncertainty? Again, not to say that becoming attracted to a family member is, is, is great or is the most wonderful thing. But what is it about that, that uncertainty of the not knowing that is so terrible? Is it that you're kind of in, in emotional or sexual limbo? Is it that you don't feel that you can have an honest emotional or sexual relationship without being fully resolved or without fully knowing? Is it that the emotional or physical aspects of this, of, of this uncertainty is unbearable? Do you know what I mean? So what is it about that that's so terrible? So this would be really helpful to think about as you start approaching the idea of accepting the uncertainty. So like what characteristics of the un uncertainty are you going to need to make space for in your life? So you also mentioned that you have uncertainty about being around your partner. Well, this is actually a really common thing for folks who have these types of obsessions. Sometimes then they're around their partner and they're doing checking and, or reassurance seeking or things of that nature. So what I'll encourage you to do is that when you're around your partner, practicing resisting engaging in reassurance seeking behaviors. You've got to be able to learn that you can be around your partner and do partner stuff with them and feel that sense of uncertainty and to carry on life without feeling certain or sure. I anticipate that when you're around your partner, you are doing that ruminating, that checking, that reassurance seeking, and you've kind of paired that process. When I'm with my partner, I check. This is what I do. 
We're trying to break that pattern, and instead, we're going to bring in acceptance of uncertainty. Now, that's going to throw your brain into a tizzy, because your brain's going, but that's what we do. We check. We, we need to make sure that we're attracted to a partner. We're not attracted to my family member. Instead, we're breaking that pattern and instead sitting with that uncertainty. And that's, again, back, going back to that previous point, what aspects of the uncertainty is there going to need, are you going to need to be accepting? So some things that can be helpful with that. Um, scripting about not knowing. Now I'm going to add a little bit of an audio script at the end of this, So that'll, but that'll be at the very end of this episode. Listening to an audio script and, and tolerating not knowing, and you can write a script, you can listen to this, and hopefully that will be helpful. Another thing you can do is to try to refocus away from the effort to get the uncertainty, and you can do that. You can do that through grounding. So one of the things you can do is to refocus away from the effort to get uncertainty. And you can do that through grounding. And grounding is going to be a couple of exercises where you bring yourself back down to the here and now. And what you're going to do is also pull, you're, you're, you're pulling yourself away from that pattern that you've developed where you're checking and doing maybe doing body checks for attraction or arousal. Um, you're, you're going to be pulling yourself away from that thought process of considering, you know, Am I attracted? Am I not attracted? But instead, pulling yourself back to the conversation. What's happening right now? One of the things that you can do is a simple 54321 technique, if you've ever heard this before. Um, so we can, we can bring ourselves back to the, the present by, by turning our attention towards five things that we can see. And then we shift to what are five things that we can feel. So the sensation, it can be our, can be our clothing, it can be the sun on our skin, things like that. And we, then we can talk about what are three things that we can hear. So we turn our attention towards our hearing and what are the, what are the things around us? Do you hear a clock? Do you hear cars? Do you see the air conditioner? Or hear it, rather. What are two things that you can smell? Lastly, what's one thing that you can taste? Now, that, that might be harder to do, but going through this list, five, four, three, two, one, five things that we see, four things that we feel, three things that we hear, two things that we smell, one thing that we taste, that can be helpful to bring ourselves back to the present. Now, lastly, another thing that you can do with this fear is to agree that the fear makes you feel really uncomfortable. Acknowledge that, yeah, that is really uncomfortable. That makes me feel bad when I have that thought. You might be able to also acknowledge the truth of it that, man, I may not know. And lastly, you can also acknowledge the potential outcome would suck. Oh, man, when I get that obsession, boy, if I were to be attracted to a family member, woof, that would be awkward. But that you'll cross that bridge when you get there. What that does is it acknowledges the thought and then it doesn't go any further. It's not then weighing out or considering or plotting or planning. It just simply acknowledges that truth. If it were to happen, that would suck. It's true. If I think about a car accident, man, if I got beheaded in a car accident, boy, that would put a damper on my day. Man, if I got COVID, that would suck. But it doesn't mean I then go and research symptoms again. It doesn't mean that I call my doctor or go get another test. It just says, man, if I were to get COVID, that would suck. And it would. But it discontinues my interaction with that thought. And then I refocus back to my life. It helps me to sit with and accept that thought, that thought being there, and that I'm not going to spend any more amount of time on that thought. So, Olivia, I hope that helps and uh, best of luck. 
All right, so this next question comes from, simply put, Overthinker. So this one's a little long, so we'll try to so stick with it. They say, Hi, I'm a woman and pretty positive I'm a sufferer of HOCD. My question is about HOCD and porn. My boyfriend used to watch a lot without me, and I would get insecure about it. Long story short, he does not anymore, but sometimes we watch it together, and I've noticed that I like same-sex porn. Periodically, I even look up specifically to watch. So as you know, that is horrible. They put it all, all in bold, and, uh, or, or all in caps. Um, so as you know, this is horrible for my mental thoughts. It makes me anxious to have sex even when I want it because all I can think about is I want to have the same pleasure as when I watch it, but what if he can't give it to me? Then it leads me back to, well, maybe you don't like guys. Instead, you should like girls. So that's why you watch the stuff. Mind you, we do have sex, just him and I, no other things involved, and it's incredible. But of course, I'm checking and reassuring myself that, well, if I like this, I must be straight. And then the cycle starts. And I think, well, maybe I'm bi or whatever. He does know what I go through. I tell him everything. I think stopping porn altogether will help. But then I get an urge to want to watch or even just have sex with my boyfriend. And that triggers HOCD thoughts. I just want to be normal and think about sex and not freak out. Please help. All right, Overthinker, thank you so much for this question. And uh, thank you all of you out there for listening and, and sticking through that, that, uh, that, that, that longer question. So, Overthinker, th th there, there are a lot of different elements to this that, that I want to address. And, but, uh, you know, as per every manifestation of OCD, I think that there will be an element of acceptance with this and, and resisting the urge to not get that answer. So, just starting out from the top. I don't know what your sexuality is. And you know what? It's ultimately not that important. And I know that might sound crazy to a lot of folks, but you've got these obsessions that are telling you you've got to know. You've got to figure it out. And there's, there's something that doesn't quite feel right. And I've got to get to the bottom of what this all is. But the deception with HOCD is that we have to figure out the answer. That's the deception. It's the lie. We don't need to figure out the answer. We don't need to have certainty about what we're going to do before we do it. Instead, freedom from OCD is instead sitting with this anxiety and the uncertainty and then not knowing. That's the focus of all of this stuff. Everything that we talk about here is not about the target fear, but is instead about can I sit with this not knowing? Can I not know and continue on with my life and maybe I'm going to make a horrible mistake? Or maybe I'm not, right? Maybe you're going to continue on having sex with your boyfriend and in five years from now discover well, you were a lesbian the whole time or you were bi the whole time. Or maybe you're not, which is also one of the options, right? So first and foremost, working on discontinuing that fight and the reassurance is going to be paramount. And instead, reshifting back to how can I sit with the uncertainty about not knowing and let those questions linger in your mind, Right. And instead, doing stuff that you want to do. You say, I like having sex with my boyfriend. Great, go for it. And know that from time to time, you're going to get these thoughts because that's what your brain does. And over time, for a while now, you've been reinforcing this reality, reinforcing, excuse me, reinforcing this thought that when I have sex with my boyfriend and these thoughts come up, well, I can't have sex with him until I figure this out. That I can't have sex and have uncertainty at the same time. 
You can. As it turns out, you can. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It may not be your favorite thing that's ever happened. It may not be the most enjoyable sex for a period of time. But it's to illustrate, no, I, I can do this, and and I don't have to get that answer in order to enjoy myself. As you say, as you say, you do have sex, and you said it's incredible. Great. So we can refocus back on the moment. So I think there's also an element of challenging the legitimacy of these thoughts and challenging the narrative that's going through your mind. Now, I'm reading into this just a little bit, so, so bear with me. And if I'm completely off base overthinker, I apologize. But OCD sometimes has this black and white, all or nothing thinking, perhaps you've noticed. And it's kind of like with HOCD, there are these boxes that we have. There is a straight box and there is this gay box. And there are things that fit within the straight box, and there are things that fit within the gay box. Um, and within those, then, if something, if something within our life um, falls outside of the straight box, or if there is something that we're into tangentially, or something specifically that we're into that sometimes fits in the gay box, or doesn't fit completely, stereotypically into the straight box, our brain goes, whoa, what does this mean? Why am I having these thoughts that don't fit into this straight box? And then it freaks out. And that's where that reassurance seeking comes from. This idea that everything in my life needs to fit into this designated box about who I am, what I'm about, and that if anything falls outside of it, life can't move on, or if I don't resolve it, my life can never be happy, full, satisfying, pleasurable, meaningful. One of the problems with sexuality is that it is really complicated. Now, this is not to say that you are straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, fill in the blank with whatever whatever you want to be or whatever you fear that you are in the LGBT alphabet. Because there's something that you've noticed about yourself. There is something about watching, and I'm going to presume it's lesbian porn. You mentioned that you watch, uh, you periodically like watching same-sex porn, and you watch that together. I, I'm going to, I'm going to presume it is lesbian porn. If I'm wrong, I apologize. However, I think in this case, I don't think I'm wrong. You say I, I even look at periodically to watch. So. One of the things to also acknowledge in this, and this is part of the acceptance piece that I mentioned earlier, it can be really important to acknowledge the stuff within the kaleidoscope or the universe or the constellation of our sexuality, that sometimes we're into stuff, and sometimes we are into stuff sexually that may not fit into that box. Now, just because it doesn't fit into that box does not then mean that you are entirely the other box. Or that because one or two or a couple things don't fit totally, perfectly, magically, Jenga style into that box, that the, the rest of the stuff in that box is nullified or doesn't exist. That's that rigidity that is problematic to us just as people. But instead, there's this element of acceptance. Maybe, just maybe, overthinker, you are turned on by lesbian porn. What does that mean for you? What would be so bad about that for you? What are you afraid of being true about you? Well, perhaps it must mean that you're gay. I wonder if it means that it nullifies the relationship that you're in, right? These are all part of that, that feared story that might be going through your mind. 
as a point of acceptance that that perhaps what you're experiencing may not be incredibly unusual is that statistics show that that there's a tremendous amount of women who do watch lesbian porn. Now, these are not lesbian identified or bisexual identified women, but these are women. Presumably, a great number of them are heterosexual identified who are interested and watch lesbian pornography. To that point, a study from Pornhub, a very popular porn website, uh, from uh, 2014 revealed that it, it says here on, on, a, on, on a HuffPost article, women were 445% more likely than men to search for the phrase girl on girl. Now, they go on to say that, um, that it doesn't specifically identify their sexual orientation, but it does say the overwhelming popularity of those terms hints at a lot of straight women um, uh, being interested in same-sex porn. And I, I think that's uh, those numbers do. Now, there are a couple other articles I read that, that pointed out similar statistics, but it acknowledges that this may be something that is to a certain degree normative and to a certain and, and additionally then it doesn't mean that it is disqualifying as per those women's heterosexuality so again going back to it something to work on is going to be what does it mean to then fit this potential truth into your life what does that look like for you can that be done now, that's something to unpack and spend a lot of time on if that's something, but, but notice that this is, that is separate from this aspect of whether or not you are truly bisexual, truly gay. So, you can certainly still accept this uncertainty and accept this truth about you. Furthermore, just because there is this truth about you then doesn't mean, now all you do is watch lesbian porn. That's what your life is about now. No, we can accept a lot of truths about our life and then not do anything with it. I'll give you an example. You could discover that you are a fantastic artist. You might just know that about yourself. You might discover you start learning an instrument and you just have a natural talent for music. And you know what? It then doesn't mean you quit your job. That doesn't mean you quit your job as, as an accountant to go and start a band or to say, I'm quitting everything and I'm going to become an artist. You can say, all right, there's this thing about me that I just discovered. Cool. And do nothing with it. That is also acceptable. So, there doesn't need to be this all or nothing activity with it. Or that, this, that, that because X is true, Y is something that is required. So, it can fit somewhere in the constellation of your life. And, the, and perhaps, to, to use a pie graph analogy, you can say, yeah, there's a piece, on, there's a piece of pie in my life that's there. It's just really small, but it's there, and that's okay. Look at all these other puzzle pieces, or all these other pie pieces. But that's not why you messaged me. I'm going to point out another thing that you, you mentioned in your question. You said something about the effect is, it makes me anxious to have sex even when I want it, because all I can think about is, I want to have the same pleasure as when I watch, but what if he can't give it to me? Let's say he can't. Then what? What does that mean for you? What is the significance of that? What is that story that your brain's telling you about him may not be able to give you this element of pleasure as when you two are having sex and watching lesbian porn? Then what? That nullifies the relationship? It means that you're gay? It means that you can never be you can never have or experience full pleasure unless it is in that specific context or is it that you'll just never be happy for the rest of your life what's the fear 
it can be helpful to break that down to start thinking about, well, what is the problem here and what can I then do about that? And what is the area of acceptance that I'm going to have to do? Additionally, we can acknowledge, you know what? Maybe that is true. Maybe your boyfriend can't give you exactly that pleasure. Okay, but you've also said sex with him is incredible. But you're going to have to sit with maybe he can't give you that element of pleasure. Okay, maybe it means your life's over, overthinker. Maybe it means your sexual life is just going to be, um, there's just this glass ceiling in your sexual life and your sexual pleasure. And it's going to be sad. It's going to be sad to sit with that reality that, sexually speaking, it's just, you know, mediocre. It's gray. It is a sepia tone of sexual pleasure for the rest of your life. Well, that may be the reality. But you know what it's doing? Notice all notice the way I'm talking about this. This is all future-based. Not right now. When you said, historically speaking, when you have sex with him, it's incredible. Hmm. Because that's the present. In the moment, it is incredible. But the fear is, but what if in the future, it's all going to be sepiotone sadness? It might be. But we're going to deal with that when we get there. Up until then, have sex. Enjoy it. And know that there are going to be those thoughts in there. We're going to say, thanks, brain, for looking out for me. But you know what? I'm just going to instead focus on the act right now and what I'm doing and whether or not I'm having fun. Actually, not even that. Don't even value it whether or not you're having fun because the second we do that is a, is a surefire way to make sure that we're not having fun. Instead, just focus on the moment. Be present. And resist the urge to get into that, that, that fight with it. And just like the first person, we can acknowledge, man, if he can't give me that pleasure for, forever, that would be terrible. That would be sad. But that's not happening now. It seems to be fun now. Great. So enjoy it. And then break that pattern of reassurance seeking. Instead, acknowledge the maybe. You may never get that. In fact, you may be with the wrong partner. Well, okay, I may be with the wrong partner, but I'm having fun now or I'm enjoying it now but we'll see what the future holds. So, Overthinker, I hope that helps. Thank you so much for that question, and best of luck. All right, so this last question comes from Mangar. Manger? 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 It's a, it's a G in there, so I don't know if it's the soft G, the gif-jif debate. Uh, anyways, it's from that person. They ask... I've been suffering from HOCD since April 20th. It's very specific. And I was able to receive treatment through the NoCD app about a month later. So, I haven't been suffering for long compared to other people. I've been doing the ERP exposures, but I'm able to calm down my anxiety in record time. I can get a level 6 from my hierarchy down to 1 or 0 in about 10 to 15 minutes. This is starting to create some concern because... If I feel I'm really distressed, my anxiety would be lasting longer. Now, I'm doubting I have OCD to begin with. I've never been diagnosed before. I'm not sure if this is reassurance-seeking or not, but it doesn't feel right. Thank you for your help. I'm hoping to hear from you. All right, Mangar, Mangar, I can't do it. So this is a really, really good question. I really enjoy it because it punctuates again that backdoor spike. So, um, first off, this is just a, this is, this is my reading into your life, see if I'm right or wrong. Um, you said, I've been suffering from HOCD since April 20th. So, if my high school year serves me right, 
April 20th is also known as 420. Did this trigger happen, or did you first start noticing this obsession after smoking a bunch of weed? Now, if that were the case, you would not be the only person. Um, if that's not the case, completely disregard it. All this is to say, for all of you out there, so sometimes when people do smoke marijuana or smoke any other drug or use any other drug recreationally, some folks do report that they can develop obsessions or that their, their OCD or their anxiety or whatever can be amplified by those experiences. Now, this is not to say don't do drugs. So this is not to say, you know, Kevin's a narc and is telling everybody to not do drugs. All I'm saying is be cautious. And just because you have that experience then does not mean that because you smoked weed or you took whatever, it opened up some portal to your life and you saw some truth about who you really are or the deep down truths of reality. And you saw something there that was revealing that you are truly gay in your case or the revealing that you are whatever god doesn't exist uh, i don't know everyone's going to get COVID. i don't know whatever the fear is it doesn't then mean that it's more real because you are high now i don't know why i'm going on all this this yammering right now but um something to think about if you're indulging in the weeds all right so again this is a great question because you're you're experiencing a common obsession that can happen for someone who's going through exposure treatment meaning there is a lot of assumptions that's happening about how OCD is supposed to go, how ERP is supposed to go, and you're drawing this conclusion that, well, it's not supposed to go down that fast. Why not? Why isn't it supposed to go down that fast? Who said that if anxiety is really real for you, you're supposed to feel anxiety for 95 minutes, it's supposed to be at a six, and then it's going to progressively over the course of 95 minutes, go six for a long time, and then probably five for about 10 minutes, and then it goes back up to a six, and then it jumps down to a three, and then back up to a four, and it does that. In no way does it say that there is a, a, a prescribed process for how you experience your anxiety. Some people experience anxiety very intensely for a short period of time. Some people experience anxiety low level for a very long period of time. There is no defined way on exactly how everyone is supposed to feel uh, their anxiety. And furthermore, how everybody is supposed to experience their exposure to therapy or their exposures. What I do find interesting is that you're saying, well, I can go from a six down to a one or zero in about 10 or 15 minutes. Great. I mean, isn't that the goal of doing exposure and response prevention is reduction of symptoms? Now, whether or not you're doing exposures correctly, whether or not you're doing them in a reassurance-seeking fashion, that, that I, I don't know because you don't give me those details, but isn't that the goal? Your anxiety is coming down as you're facing your fears. You're, now, again, if you're doing that compulsively, that would be problematic, but oftentimes through the exposure and response prevention theory, as you face your fears, your body progressively starts to acclimate to that level of anxiety. And your body starts to turn off that autonomic, that fear, that fight or flight response. And we start to go, oh, maybe this thing actually isn't that bad. So that's what you're experiencing. But now you have this thought, well, that's not the way it's supposed to go. Now it must mean that it's true. Or I was, I was, uh, I, I never had OCD in the first place. So because it never had OCD in the first place, because I'm responding in this way, now it must mean that my obsession, whatever that fear is for you, HOCD, now it must mean that that's true. That is not true. Or it's not necessarily true, I should say. OCD is about doubt. It's about uncertainty. 
It's about questioning and always throwing in there a, a yeah, but or a what if. Notice that you've switched from the questions, the what ifs, the doubts about your sexuality, and it has shifted now to this other thing. Now, you're not saying, what if I have OCD and now I have OCD about my OCD? You're saying, well, the new obsession here might be, what if I never had OCD in the first place? And now there's rumination about how your OCD went. Was it typical? Was it correct? Do other people experience it like this? When you felt your obsessions in the past, does it match the thing that you read online or the book that you read or the podcast on Fearcast that you heard or fill in the blank with whatever thing that you might have heard? Sometimes it's going to differ and then our brain is going to go into this second level obsession and it's going to be obsessing about obsessing. Am I obsessing correctly? Am I obsessing the normal way? Am I obsessing too much? Not enough. This is really common. But just because it's common doesn't mean it's accurate. Instead, what we can do with this is, again, accept the uncertainty of it. And it's say, and respond to it, come back at it with, you know what? Maybe I was gay. Maybe I am gay. Maybe I will be gay. Maybe my OCD was right. Or maybe, or not or, but and, maybe I never had OCD in the first place. And whatever that thought was, was true. Maybe. And I'm going to have to sit with that uncertainty. That may suck. That may feel uncomfortable for me. And that may, you know, that's going to throw some things off. Maybe that is true. And then to practice sitting with that uncertainty while resisting the urge to go back to that same process of reassurance and evaluation and rumination. It'll take practice. It will. But again, notice the shift. It's gone right back to another yeah, but a doubt question. Instead of trying to get the certainty and to fight with it again, and to fight with this new obsession, say, you know, my life is, is about so many more things than just this. And I can deal with it. I can deal with it. And I can move on with life without knowing. So if you aren't working with a therapist now, I, I would encourage you, maybe even, I know you said you're working through the, the, the NoCD app, which is great, but it may be worth chatting with the therapist if you haven't already since you sent this in, start chatting with your therapist about how it has shifted to this new obsession. Again, while I'm calling it a new obsession, I'm not giving you that reassurance because you know what? You're not in my office, you're not on my couch, and we haven't chatted about this. I don't know if you never had OCD in the first place. I don't know if you are, in fact, uh, gay, bisexual, lesbian, uh, again, wherever you may or may not fall on the LGBTQ alphabet. But the point is, we don't need to know. We don't really need to know. And you can sit with that uncertainty. So, thank you so much for this question. So, as I mentioned earlier, I'm going to do a brief guided meditation exposure on, uh, on, on accepting the uncertainty as per Olivia's question. So, we're going to get that music started here in just a moment. And this exposure is going to focus more on sitting with some of these phrases. So, one of the ways that we can do exposures is not necessarily through a narrative exposure, but is sitting with those doubting questions when they pop into our head and letting them float, 
letting them sit, letting them land in our life for the period of time that they're there without trying to solve them or to fight with them, but instead to notice just how they make us feel, how they impact us, how they, how they make us feel uncomfortable. What in our body feels weird during this time? What in our brain gets activated? What sort of thoughts and, and mental images pop into our head as we sit with that statement? And to sit with that for a period of time and resist the urge to fight that or to get to an answer or to turn that thought into something else instead, just allow that to be there. So we'll turn that music on. What I want you to do as you listen to these phrases is just want you to notice what's, what your experience is like, what you notice, what's surprising, what jumps out to you, and observe it and simply acknowledge that it's there. Just like if you were to be outside looking at the clouds and how they shift and change and morph into other things, and you might say, oh, that one looks like a duck, and all of a sudden, a minute later, it looks like a boat. Okay, it shifted. And during the times that it wasn't one of the other things, it, it, was, it was nothing. It was a blob in the sky. Okay, that is also acceptable for it to be a blob. And then when it turns into a boat, great, that's a boat for now. And then it'll be something else. So, notice your thoughts as we go through these statements. Accept everything that your brain gives you right now as a, a thought, as part of your experience. We don't have to accept them as realities or as facts, but instead, the only reality and fact about them is that they are in your head right now, or that they are in your body right now. Okay, let's begin. I may be attracted to someone I don't want to be attracted to. I may never know my sexuality. I don't know who I am. What if I never know? What if I'm never satisfied? What if I'm with the wrong person? What if I never meet the one? What if sex is never going to be satisfying again? Sex might not be satisfying ever. I may never fully be happy. I'm with the wrong partner. I don't truly know who I am. I'll never get rid of this thought. My life is going to be ruined because I can't get rid of these thoughts.
All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. So again, what did you notice? What was surprising about that? What defied your expectation? What did you think was going to be there and wasn't? What did it take for you to sit there and let them be there? Let the thoughts be there? What was surprising about your ability to let those thoughts be there? So, consider some of those thoughts, and if you need to go through it again, just to notice what you feel and to make space for it. Now, you can do this yourself, by the way. If there are some more specific questions for your experience, write those down, record them, and play them. Practice sitting with them. So, more things to think about, more things to practice. So, everybody, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining me for this episode, episode 55. Um, Everyone, if you have a question for a future episode or would like to ask a question uh, for me to answer, please feel free to go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go to the submit a question link, and you can ask it there. I will read it and I will consider it and I will likely put it up on a future episode. Uh, If you have feedback for the podcast and would like to let me know what you think would make the show better, again, more of something, less of this stuff. Um, Something else I haven't even mentioned. Um, Go over to to fearcastpodcast.com backslash survey. And you can let your opinion be heard. We in America are gearing up for a vote. So you can vote early uh, for the Fearcast. So um, so everyone be on the lookout for the Phobia Friday series coming up soon. If you have a question about a phobia that you would like me to discuss or there's a specific phobia that you want me to go over, um, I definitely would love to hear it. Also, everybody, if you have an experience with your anxiety that you would like to share, I think that would be a fun uh, uh, segment to add to the show. If you would like to share your own experiences with exposure or with treatment or something that worked great or something that was super weird, I would love to hear your delightful voices. So I'll I'll talk about this in in future um, episodes as well. But one of the best ways I think that we can do that is if you record your voice and email me that voice. And I'll try to figure out other ways that we can do this. If you need to record it onto your phone and share with me a Google Doc or something like that, uh, we can work that out. You can email that over to questions at fearcastpodcast.com. But if you would like to share your story, and again, this can be completely anonymous, but uh, send me that, and uh, if you give me permission, uh, I will be able to put that up, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll share that with other folks, and I think that would be incredibly helpful for other people to hear your experience and to know that recovery is out there, it's possible, and, um, uh, uh, and that you aren't alone. I think that's going to be one of the most important things that we can learn in this process. All right, everybody, so remember... The Fearcast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need help in your recovery, go to fearcastpodcast.com and uh, go to the Find Help link, and there will be some links up there that might be able to help you. All right, everyone, until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.